News. 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 New York City. FAQ. Welcome to FAQ NYC, the most New Yorkers podcast there ever was and ever will be. My name is Alex Brooklyn. I'm executive producer. This week, Professor Christina Greer is back from vacation, and Harry waxes nostalgic with a couple of cartoonists. And as we all know, cartoonists are weird and wonderful people. Got Bill Bramhall, who cartoons for the Daily News, and Mark Allen Stamity, whose dense comic strip from The Village Voice is now being made into a graphic novel. F-A-Q. Professor Christina Greer, welcome back. What have you been researching on the beach? (laughs) I read four novels, Harry, Um, and it was just very necessary to relax, relate, release. You got to leave New York to love New York. Speaking of loving New York... While you were gone, I roped in Bill Bramhall, the editorial cartoonist for the Daily News, to come up with me to Alex Lynn's apartment to meet with another cartoonist, Mark Allen Stomedy. In the 1970s, just about when I was busy being born, Mark Allen Stomedy was busy creating McDoodle Street, which was a collection of comic strips that ran in the Village Voice in uh, the late 70s and is unbelievably dense and uh, goofy and strange and good and just sort of captures a city that's sort of been lost. 30 years of new cities have piled on top of that. Just got reissued by the uh, fancy schmancy New York Review of Books, comic books division. I got a chance to read back through it and then talk with him about uh, New York then and now and building this incredibly elaborate strip with a dishwasher poet, monkeys plotting to take over the world who are also dishwashers, and lots of other elements that just got more and more strange and fantastic until it completely came to some end, ran out of gas. So the whole story is now back out again. It's a very fun thing to read in New York. I'm sure it'd be even more fun to read on the beach. Right. Well, I mean— I had the pleasure of listening to the conversation that you and Alex had with Bill and Mark. And what I hope our listeners take away is that this is such a fascinating story about a man who lived in the McDougal Street area in a very particular time in New York City's history. And so as so many New Yorkers lament about the changing of the city, right, where it seems like all of the local shops are disappearing and chain shops are popping up all across the nation or all across the city, what would it really look like if we had 8,000 marks and bills across the five boroughs, right? Because we know that New York City is comprised of at least 8,000 little neighborhoods where people have their own sort of flair, their own sort of ethnic pride, which Mark touches on quite a bit. And this is one man's take on one neighborhood in one particular time period. And what it left me wanting more of was so many other doodles from individuals from across the city. You know, what does a doodle from northern Staten Island look like versus a doodle from the South Bronx versus a doodle from East Harlem versus a doodle from Crown Heights in the past, say, 30 years or from the 70s to the present? I'd be fascinated by that. So maybe that's, you know, if anyone from the NEH or the Ford Foundation or OSF is listening, hopefully they'll start giving grants to people to to really reflect on the changing New York and what it means to them. A WPA, but just for cartoonists. Yes. Let's get it cooking. I mean, why not? Like, let's dream big. So the comic is really awesome. We thought it'd be fun to do a pod about a comic. So you can't see it there, but you can see some of the illustrations at Mm faq.nyc. And of course, you should really go and buy the book. Uh, I'll give you the Harry Siegel money-back guarantee if you don't like it. What's that? Uh, you can email and ask me to refund the money, and I may or may not respond because I lose track of a lot of emails. Okay. 
That sounds like a ShamWow type product endorsement. I believe that man is in prison. Let's Ooh. go to the interview. <laughs> Too soon. Bill Bramall, Mark Allen Stomedy. Thank you so much for coming here and joining us. I'm Bill Bramhall. I'm the editorial cartoonist at the uh, New York Daily News, and I've been there for 14 years. Uh, before that, I was the uh, uh, political cartoonist at the Herald Examiner in Los Angeles before it went out of business, and um, I've been an illustrator and a commercial artist for most of my working life. I'm Mark Allen Stamity. I'm um, I've done children's books, uh, political cartoons, graphic novels, um, various comic strips. And I was at places like The Village Voice, Washington Post, Time Magazine. I'm Harry Siegel. My misspent youth is extended out into middle age. I've been at a lot of newspapers and places. I was at all the alt-weeklies with good cartoons when they started dying. Uh, Shout out to New York Press and The Village Voice. I co-host this podcast, FAQ NYC. I'm an editor at The Daily Beast. I write a column for The Daily News. Mark, New York Review of Books is putting uh, McDoodle Street out. Yes. Back out. It is so cool. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And dense and just crowded with uh, images and verbiage and jokes and uh, dishwashers and monkeys and poets and, um, and, and artists without, without art. <laughs> and um, I was hoping you could just talk a little bit about the voice of the early 70s. It was a good period. Mm-hmm. I was born. Um, McDoodle Street happened, <laughs> and um, and and the the city you were depicting, and maybe also about uh, how much of this you, you knew where it was going when you uh, when you started, and how much was just carrying you from from week to week. I moved into um, to my McDougal Street apartment on, in 1968, and that was I was just finishing Cooper Union. I had a year to go, and I was on McDougal Street for 22 years. I loved it. And uh, I always loved all the craziness of the of the city. You said that I well. I, the thing I'm remembering now is you said, "Did I know where it was going?" Or initially, I didn't know where it was going. I kind of figured it. But when I was about halfway through, I started figuring out where it was where it was going. But uh, I liked having it meander. I, I spent a lot of time walking around the city. A lot of times late at night and absorbing. And I was always attracted to the crazy energy of the city and so much happening all the time. And I always liked art that was kind of teeming with things. So, um, so I had a lot to, uh, to, to pull from. And, you know, a lot of it was, uh, you know, funny to me, ridiculous to me. And Eddie, actually, uh, who's, who's the sort of ultimate guru of this, it, um, he was kind of based on a, on a, I guess he was a homeless guy that I spent a lot of time with one night. Um, and then I saw him later on showing up around the village, kind of, suddenly he was sort of in the gay world, sort of, but he was a, he was, he had been a World War II veteran. He told me his life story for a couple hours one night. When he, he was trying to like set up a mattress on St. Mark's place and, and get some sleep, there was like a, there was a mattress out there and he was, and then, but he, but then I saw him walking around. So I, anyway, in those days I used to just take in everything I could from the street. So you have incredibly dense middles. So what did McDoodle Street end up being about? In 90 uh, oh. seconds, what is the, the, the story of the comic for, for well, readers who haven't experienced it yet? It's about a meandering poet named Malcolm Frazzle. Works for a, a news, uh, works for a magazine called Dishwasher Monthly. Once a month, he writes a poem about dishwashing. 
And uh, he didn't really understand the sort of mystical and majestic uh, aspects of dishwashing initially. But um, we worked in the Cafe Fizz, which was kind of based on the Cafe Figaro, which which had two different lives when I was on McDougal. It was there, then it wasn't there for a while, then it was there again, and then it died again uh, uh, not too long ago, I guess. And uh, he would write his poetry in the Cafe Fizz as I uh, wrote McDougal Street in many places, including Sandalinos, if anybody. Anyway, and um, it gets taken over by the conservative liberation front one day, and Malcolm makes... Uh, a sort of unkind remark about Wayne Newton and uh, ends up being pursued uh, by these Wayne Newton fans and uh, runs onto a bus and meets Helga Parsnip, who is a bag lady with an empty whiskey bottle uh, that has a mystical connection to Rebecca the Cow, that is an ancient deity who is uh, closely entwined with the wisdom of dishwashing. I partly grew up in the neighborhood. What years were you on McDougal Street and is the conservative liberation front like are you writing this uh as this first wave kind of before even I I started noticing the the wave of change on McDougal Street what was changing on McDougal Street when you were writing McDougal Street well well I say here's what's what's very peculiar is that uh so I moved in in 1968 and I and I was there till 1990 basically there was, you know, conservatism was still, you know, there was Ronald, there'd been Barry Goldwater, there'd been Ronald Reagan, but they weren't, they weren't really doing that well. Jimmy Carter was president when I was working on this. And I, and, and I, ne I never expected that Ronald Reagan would become the president. I started writing it before Ted Kennedy was challenging Jimmy Carter, calling Jimmy Carter a Republican. And so I didn't really know what was going to happen. And you know what? I, I, I didn't know that Wayne Newton was going to perform at the Republican convention in 1980. I was kind of stunned by that. So I can't say that there were conservatives uh, running around Greenwich Village in those days. I guess I, uh, I, I don't, you know, maybe, maybe I had a premonition that that was happening. But um, this conservatism was a kind of external force that I imagined into our, my little world there. And as it turned out, yeah, it turned out. I mean, it was, I don't know, maybe it was Rebecca the Cow telling me this. You say you, you write them. Do you write them first and then? Yeah, usually I have to write them first. I mean, sometimes doodling can bring ideas and things. So that, you know, But essentially, the hardest part of what I ever do is the writing. And, and I really have to get the words first. And those words are a big struggle. When I did McDoodle Street, I, I'd sometimes spend like a day or two on a word. You know, it would be just uh, a, a lot of what's important to me in, in writing is rhythm of the words. And, and I think that's a lot of what carries it, at least as much as the visuals, maybe more so. So I got to get those words. And once I have those words, the drawing is really the easier part. You know, it's it's. Do you get the Do you get the the words? Do they come to you while you're walking? You know, I might get a phrase or something while I'm walking. I might, you know, a lot of it is you're just sitting there dealing with it, and then you and then get away, and then get back, and get away, and get back. You're kind of calling on the unconscious. When I first came to New York, I mean, I'd started doing this in New Jersey, but these I, these long walks at night made more sense to me than almost anything in my life, and it was just kind of an intuitive thing, like I was. 
to me, it's all about feeling something. I felt the streets. I felt the night. And it was an intuitive, you know, I feel like, you know, art and writing and all the arts are powered by something mysterious. So it's a kind of a, it's even like a mindlessness, you know, it's like a, it's a letting go and, 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 and just being guided by that. And so hopefully you've got some juice, you know, I have something, actually just something I feel something about is really the key. You know, when people take in art, when they take in music or writing or anything, it's about them feeling something. It's about our heart and our gut. You know, we, that's where we want to come from, and that's what we want to reach. So, so that's what it's about, is just trying to feel it and then trying to find the words that convey it, you know. so You have a nice quote from Giacometti in one of your I love that, uh, yeah, that quote. You want to say what that is? That's yeah, I found it when I was, you know, when I was in art school. There was an article in, in Life magazine about Giacometti, and he said, I no longer work for anything but the sensation I have while working. Yeah. Beauty, isn't it? And, uh, you know, it's got to be about something. Even if, you know, like like I think a lot of the fine art world, uh, there's a lot of gimmickry and then there's a lot of reality that, that people may think is crap. You know, when I went to art school, I thought there was something that was art and my teacher would tell me if I did it or not, you know. And then and then I found out all my teachers had different ideas of what art was. And then I realized, you know, like what's the there there? And the and the there there I decided has to be I as, you know, who's making it has to feel it and it has to give life to me. It has to be it has to be a real thing to me even if it's uh Cy Twombly or something. I remember I one time was taking this young woman around uh, uh, the Museum of Modern Art, you know, trying to explain abstract art to her. And we got this, we got this Cy Twombly and she said, no, you know, no, no way. <laughs> and well, I love a lot of Cy Twombly and then some of it, it doesn't do anything for me. But the thing is, First of all, did it do something for Cy Twombly? Whatever kind of esoteric uh, imagery or anything you put out there, does it come from a real place in me? Can you talk for just one minute about Artman, Arthur Freeman, (laughs) and uh, Gustavo Ranto at this point? (laughs) (laughs) Who are they, Um, for starters? I shouldn't even say this, but yeah, in some way, Gustav Gustav is kind of me, I suppose, part of me. He's very passionate. He's putting his art out there, and the world is not you know, calling him a genius and he thinks he is. And, and, uh, art man, that was, you know, largely based on two people, which was, uh, Andy Warhol. Um, I'd say he, you know, he's a great designer. He did, he's a great graphic artist and he's, he's, you know, he definitely, definitely has tremendous talent, but I thought a lot of his, what he was doing was crap personally. And Ed Reinhardt, who I think was genuine. Now Ed Reinhardt did the black paintings and, and 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 when when I was in Cooper Union, uh, he had a big a retrospective at the Jewish Museum, and I went with my friend Bill uh, from school to hear him talk. And had Reinhardt, he talked about his philosophy that just sounded like death. You know, it's like he got to a point. He was doing these like sort of colorful abstractions. Uh, you know, in the company of all the, you know, de Kooning and Pollock and, and all these Gorky or whatever, all this stuff. And he was getting nowhere. And then, it, and then at some point he started doing these black paintings that were like, these are the ultimate paintings so with this very just subtle, like kind of a crisscross thing he did and whatever, but it was basically all black. And he had, and he had his rules for the new art. He, he, he felt like he had done the ultimate painting and, and it was, it was almost like the end of painting. And I was in art school, you know, I was trying to have a, 
career in the arts and he was telling me, well, I'm done. You know, I, I did it. This is the, this is the ultimate painting. We're all done. And he, and he had this whole 12 point philosophy. Um, no color, no line, no, no expression, no, you know, no, no, if you can read, it must be somewhere online. I didn't know. He had a studio right on Broadway and around, um, right near NYU. Um, what did he do in the studio? He painted black. Oh, it takes time to <laughs> play. It, it takes time. time to paint black paintings. And he, and, and there was a, just a subtle little like cross thing. It wasn't meant to be a religious thing, but it was just like a, a line, a vertical thing, a band and a horizontal band and just the subtlest little bit of pigment, you know, added to that. And, and, but he had this whole, um, philosophy that just made me feel like, why? You know, I mean, although I kind of, I can appreciate, you know, I can, I can receive some, um, chi from his uh from looking at his work but i mean his whole philosophy it was kind of depressing so art man he's basically a nihilist in the arts and um gustav comes from the side of art that i you know i love de kooning i love gorky i love matisse i love picasso i love you know it's just he was he was all about passion you know and and in in the arts and art man was all about a gimmick um a marketing gimmick so that was that that's the that's that's basically what that is about. One of the funny things, funny in all kinds of ways, that happens in the cartoons, the, the passion is always there, even when it becomes dispassion, and and even when it starts to wander, it, there's this meta sensibility built into it about why am I wandering? So it, it's operating for me anyway on at least two levels, you know. It's different from when I would say an abstract expression. It's, it's, it's got this other consciousness in it that's sort of that's monitoring what you're doing. That I find just trippy. Oh well, I appreciate <laughs> that. I, well, well, I mean, um, you know, Malcolm's favorite uh, philosopher is Thomas Onion, and he believes basically in wandering, meandering. I guess you know, just like that Giacometti quote. You know, I like to look for the sort of magic the spirituality in life, the, the kind of just like, what are we, like, what are we, what are we, I, you, you know, I don't know what, you know, it's just, we, I mean, there's, but you, but you have a kind of an ache, you, you feel something even, and then you produce something and it, and, and, and you get inner peace, you know, you get like a, a kind of a, a, you know, a transcendent kind of experience, you know, from that, you know, this is all kind of a, beyond the kind of beyond the brain or beyond logic or be, you know, it's, but that's the, that's like the core notion of what the hell are we doing here? You know, like, do we, do we like being here? Uh, I like feeling this thing, like we're in a mystery, you know, it's a mysterious, it's first place. It's impossible that we even exist. I mean, there, there was either, there was either nothing and then there was something or there was always something. I, both of those things are completely incomprehensible. So it, you know, it's like we are kind of living a miracle, even if we're depressed, you know, it's, it's just impossible that we're here. So we're dealing with some mysterious thing. I have a technical question. If this is going to bring it down to the mundane level for sure. a second, do you pencil anything out first? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there's, there's different ways I approach different things. I've done etchings where I just draw freely. Like on my website, there's there's some etchings that I've done, and and and, and, I, and there's drawings that I've done that are I just start drawing, which I like doing. I especially like doing it if I can uh, wipe things out or glue on paper in areas and. and 
that have like kind of dead energy. That's all about the energy of it. You know, how do, what is, what kind of energy does it have? But, but then if it's something like McDoodle Street or if it's like Who Needs Donuts was this kids book I did before that, um, that was all about the city and whatever, or, or, you know, most of the, the work I've done for publication, mostly there's a lot of penciling and there's a lot of, you know, in, in a comic strip, you've got, you know, I write it out, but then I've got to like, you know, fit it in. I've got to, you know, I've got to make panels and, you know, lay it out, out and all that. And there's a, so there's a lot of penciling in that. Although I'd say recently I'm, I'm working on two graphic novels, but one, and the one I'm working on at the moment is where I'm just basically using pencil, eraser, ink, and uh, white paint. And, you know, it's a little bit like working like charcoal with a kneaded eraser. It's like you can, you can put a tone or a darker light any way you want and you can erase anything you want. And I really love that because I, you know, I, I can go to the finish much more immediately and just, and just play with it. How much larger are the originals from well, these? This, McDoodle Street, I did the same size. Oh, these are same size. Yeah, wow. and I, I did Who Needs Donut same size too. Yeah, wow. I, my eyes are different now. Yeah, I'll say. yeah. So I was going to say. You notice the, <laughs> the addendum in the back of the book is not as as, as, as a bigger <laughs> yeah. imagery. Yeah, but uh, in the, in the, I remember in my my earlier years. Um, older people would say to me, "Boy, you have incredible eyes eyesight." And I think, "Really? I don't." Yeah. Now I understand what they were saying. Soon it'll be James Thurber drawing like yeah. a huge giant <laughs> right wall. when he was blind. When I he guess. was blind, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> so, so in Who Needs Donuts and some of these sort of splash strips in McDoodle Street, yeah. where there aren't panels. Oh, some of those, by the way, like Malcolm's wandering through. Some yeah. of those. I probably did some of those more spontaneously. I'm trying to think, you know, I mean, I... I mean, they're incredibly dense and dense with signage and imagery. You know, did, did you ever reach a point or, or is there some register in which you say this is too much or, or exhausting for you or for the reader? Or were you always trying to sort of push more in? Well, it's... Um, I, see, I have to ask you a question then. Are any of them too much for you? They are too much for some people, I think. But but I would say for me, for I, well, I answer your question, but I still want your answer. But the but it's like for me, I have a feeling, and I want to, and and I'm I'm guided by that. And at a certain point, I I I look at the page and it and it says, okay, you're there. And I feel a very good feeling in me. I'd say that not everything I ever do is is densely crammed, but essentially, if it's there, it's what it's what I was intending intending to do at the at the time. But it, I mean, but there are people who just can't look at it, you know. Um, and the first uh, New York Times book review of Who Needs Donuts, like in 1973, um, the reviewer said um, maybe Mark Stamity uh, suffers from horai vacui. Which is, she said, it was a fear of vacuum, empty space, or something, you know. So I'd never heard that term before. <laughs> but uh, if you don't suffer from it, you might think they're too dense. You know? I, I'm probably not the fairest audience. Right. I used to love snowy winters in New York, uh-huh. being on the trains and just looking at the uh, at the smush <laughs> and the uh, the crap, the garble on the floor over the patterns on the trains. And just the shapes and images and that. And then people would step on and off. 
and there would be a whole new spread of right. smush and splatter. I'm like, oh, I could sit here and watch this that's great. all day. Well, that's great. That's you know, I was gonna say one of the things that I, I had in mind when I was when I came to the city and I was wandering around the streets was we had a teacher at Cooper Union named Ben Cunningham, and he said he was a visual voluptuary. You sound like a visual voluptuary. Were you high in 1978? And how was the comic received? And did people offer you drugs? Okay, here's the thing. I I um I had a mentor kind of when I was um right when the whole pot thing happened, and my and uh, and friends of mine. In Wait, Co- what whole pot thing? The uh, the whole the uh, the uh, what pot? Uh, you know, grass. Right, but like when it came out. Okay. Oh well. Okay. Okay. Well. Okay. 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 I was well. Okay. When I was okay, I was in Cooper Union. I went. I started in the fall of 1965. So in 1965, one of my friends said about one of the the young women in our class, she smokes pot. The next year, I went over to visit my friend, and he was stoned, and he was with his friend Freddie, who had who had brought the pot. Uh, you know, and he looked like he, he looked like he'd just seen death, you know, and he looks at me and he said, there is a God and it's all hopeless. And then he went and fell down on his bed. And that was, and, and so. <laughs> Add Reinhardt. <Yeah>. Uh, <laughs> so basically, um, so this was to me, the advent, this was like pot was starting to happen. Cause this was like, you know, my friend and, and, um, and then everybody, suddenly everybody's getting stoned. Well, I had a kind of, an older man who I knew who he was kind of a mentor to me and I said well I think I'm going to start smoking pot and he said, said to me don't do it he <laughs> said it'll just you know it'll just screw you up you don't need it. you know you don't whatever so I was so I I didn't smoke pot when everybody was stoned and then and I didn't smoke it until strangely um, I tried it six times in 1973 because I had this girlfriend that was egging me on, and 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 uh, this is by the way after I did Who Needs Donuts and and um, so she was egging me on and we went to this party and I I smoked hash for the first time as the Rockefeller Law was going into effect. It was that night. I tried it about six times and I didn't like it. And I felt like it separated me from, it was interesting. My head would do all these things, but it was completely disconnected from my heart center. So um, after about six months, I never touched it again. People always said, um, oh, you must have been stoned when you did that. I was never stoned when I worked and I was mostly never stoned. And except for I tried it a few times. And uh, one time I thought, well, everybody says this is, the, you know, you do this amazing art when, you, when you, uh, you're stoned. So one time I tried to draw when I was stoned. So I, I sat there and I was drawing. I was saying, wow, wow, this is wow. Oh, my God, look at this, look at this. And then um, the next morning I looked at it and it was like this squiggly line that went yeah. nowhere. Yeah. And so, I, no, yeah. I'm, I was never – and everybody was always accusing me of being stoned when I did. And also I would talk to people who were stoned when they were stoned. This was, you know, late 60s, early 70s, all my friends. And they would talk about the veins and the leaves and the trees and all this stuff. And I'd say, yeah, I, I, I know, the veins and the leaves and the trees. And they said, how do you know that you're not stoned? So, you know, anyway – I guess some people uh, just uh, they say have it naturally. I haven't I haven't smoked pot in many years, and everyone always thinks I'm stoned. There you go. Um, my dad tells me it's because he's so stoned that I was born tired. <laughs> 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 but uh, but no, I know uh, what you mean. Could you speak a little bit 
more to the nature of the city at night and the kind of characters that you run into and that particular quality of conversation and of intimacy between two city dwellers when you are like at night in in a city. I feel like, you know, a lot of people I know kind of live in that world. Well, you know, Who Needs Donuts was actually that somebody said that there was a woman in a, in a Bickford's coffee shop. I used to go in, and it was open all night on 23rd and 3rd Avenue. And I used to sit there with my sketchbook when I was in art school. And uh, when I walked in there one night, there was an old woman that was like asleep on the counter. And a guy comes in about 20 minutes later. He's wearing a suit and jacket and everything. He says he wants two cups of coffee to go. And the waitress says, do you want donuts with your coffee? And he says, no, thank you. And suddenly this sad old woman raises her head, points to the ceiling and says, that's right. Who needs donuts when you've got love? So um, that was that that book. And I may not be addressing your question, but one time a friend of mine, I was with a friend of mine walking down Lexington Avenue in the 30s, and this guy came up to us, and he's this crazy guy, and he starts talking. He's all excited, you know, and he's saying he's this painter, and he's painted the ultimate painting, and the ultimate painting is umbilical oralism. And <laughs> and he's going on and on about his he's painting umbilical oralism and this is going to be the greatest paintings ever painted you know it's like well you meet people like that you know and it kind of sets your mind off in a in a in a place I don't know if I'm probably not exactly addressing what you're saying I, I think can, the yeah. tangent is addressing exactly okay. what I'm saying <laughs> I, I, yeah I have another kind of technical uh, sure. point to bring up. Personally, I'm always drawn to line, to draftsmanship. Mm -hmm. I would rather look at Bruegel's drawings than his paintings, mm -hmm. and not just because you can see the thought process a little bit clearer, but I'm just drawn to it for some other haphazard mm -hmm. reason, the reason I'm drawn to your work. And I'm thinking back to when McDoodle Street was done. It's like the golden age of black and white drawing because you open up the Village Voice and you've got Stamity. You open the New York Review books, you've got David Levine. You open the New York Times, you've got Hirschfeld on Sunday. The, uh, the op-ed page has got Brad Holland on it and all this fabulous black and white line art that was done. The New Yorker has Steinberg, who's drawing these riffs on the city. Right. You uh -huh. know, and things are changed, right? I mean, things aren't the same anymore with yeah. that is it is it technology well, or well i'd say one thing is like with kids books and you know a lot of publishing is color printing was more expensive so so you really you know line was um it was you know black and white and line was kind of uh you know an economical thing i think in in part um and i guess technology has has done part of that and you can just do you can do so much i mean you know, with, with um, you know, moving images and all this stuff that just was not possible. Has your then. stuff ever been animated? Um, there was almost a movie of McDoodle Street in the 80s, and they were going to do combine a lot of technologies. That, there were very various almosts. And there's there's actually an, a no, there's an almost, there's a maybe for Who Needs Donuts now, but there's a, a well-known Hollywood director who who would like to, um, make it an animation, but I don't know. I don't know if that's gonna how that's gonna happen. You know, so we'll, I always wanted to do animation myself, you know, handmade animation, but it never seemed like um, a practical thing. I mean, I knew people that made 
animations and you know you spend eternity on it and four people see it and that's you know so brief commercial interruption please buy who needs donuts back in print and uh please pick up mcdoodle street just back in print from new york review of books uh purchase things uh and make the uh make the economy turn thank you Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Just be, uh, we're supposed oh, to the, do that uh, when you're on promoting a thing. I never <laughs> right, right, right. Stuff. Oh yeah, you're supposed to. You're not supposed to say the book. You're supposed to say McDoodle Street. McDoodle Street. Needs donut. That brings me to a couple of lightning round questions. All right, let, well, lightning <laughs> round. Such as they are. Um, <laughs> did you know uh, Dave Van Rock from McDougal Street? Well, I, this is what I, I hope I don't get sued for this. But no one, you know, I lived, Me too. I lived at 118 and next door was 116, which was where the Gaslight Cafe was. So that, and I was on the fourth floor in my, in my, in my railroad flat. I was in my kitchen, <clears throat> you know, bathtub in the kitchen and all that. And, and I was, um, and I could hear, this was late 60s, I guess, I could hear Chris Christopherson singing live because right between, you know, the, the sound came up right from the club. Dave Van Ronk was always on the sign at the, at the gaslight. And one night I, I came down on my stoop and there was Dave Van Ronk kind of inebriated and there was um, Emmy Lou Harris, I believe it was, um, trying to help him like you know, get on his feet and walk. So that was my interaction with, or my, my observation. You know, Bob Dylan lived a block away when I was uh, on, when I was on uh, McDougal Street. On page 60 of McDoodle Street, uh -huh. continuing our lightning round, yes. was this in some ways uh, an inspiration 16. to, uh, to Washington? Which is that? This is um, it was a preliminary. Yeah, it happened that I did this thing about the charismatician and all that in um, McDoodle Street. And I wasn't hankering to be a political cartoonist. I didn't really, you know, I was a baby boomer in the 60s. Um, you know, I, I didn't want to go to Vietnam, um, but, I did, but I admired the people who went. Um, and most of them were drafted. And um, what upset me was that, um, like, if you would, if I would say I loved my years in the Boy Scouts, then people would say, "Well, that's a paramilitary organization, and you're a fascist," you know. And 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 I I didn't even want to get in the middle of that. I went to art school, and I kind of wanted to have a free mind, and I didn't want to be in these kind of boxes of you better not say that, and you're on teams, and you can't, you know. Anyway, so I, it wasn't something I was anxious to do, but I did do some stuff that was was political. But in, in 1981, um, out of the blue, I got a call from Meg Greenfield at the Washington Post. McDoodle Street had just been, she'd been following my strips, and she was the editorial page editor of the Washington Post. So she wanted me to do a McDoodle Street version of Washington. So I told her I would have to research this. Now, now the, the reason this appealed to me at the time is because I always wanted to write novels, which is kind of what McDoodle Street was like, the closest I'd ever come to what I was trying to do, what I wanted to do. And I, I felt like a big shortcoming I had is I didn't know how the world worked. So I, I felt like I could learn how the, you know, more about how the world worked by doing this. And I, so I spent, a, I spent a ton of time in congressional hearings and all over Washington for years, but it started that first seven months before I came up with Washington. I just, I just was like, I'd go down there all the time and I'd, I'd spend all day from the crack of dawn, you know, till six or something at, um, at congressional hearings. Then I'd go to the Washington Post. I'd be in that office till way past midnight. Then fortunately, I mean, I realized when I started doing this that, um, 
that some stuff I'd done in McDoodle Street were actually was actually applicable to uh, to to Washington. And after about three years, I knew a lot. You know, I I mean, I'd been and and I just said, yep. "The hell with it. This is what it is. You just jump in and you." Take a stand and hell with it. Ben Catcher. Um, yes. I, I came to his work before yours, but mm-hmm. I think you are uh, a little older. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I was. Do he's you, a brilliant, you, yeah. brilliant man. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Do you feel like there are some? There's something cousinly or related in your work with the uh, with the sort of New York, or, or not so much? Um, I, I well, I don't know. He. I mean. Um, I, I think we both have a an affection for detail and affection. I mean, I mean, he has affection right. for things that I don't know about. And I did see something he did at the kitchen, which was really great. That was, um, oh. you know, it was it was war- it was like projected, yes. and it was something. It was yeah. I mean, um, I mean, he, I love his work, uh, and I and uh, I don't know if I I don't know if I was any. Uh, influence on him or i don't know if he thinks our work i don't know if ben thinks uh you know i have to but um we should ask him we anyway him yeah yeah his but kitchen stuff uh, with the projections is almost like windsor mckayish yeah mm. yeah no he's i mean he he does really beautiful work and he definitely is passionate you know in about um uh and and he brings forth um i mean he brings you into his <laughs> world which is yes. um which is you know Pretty amazing, yeah. Thank you so much, Mark, and and thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Bill, this is really, this is is very cool, and I hope everyone checks out out McDoodle Street, um, which is just super duper cool, and you'll find out what the monkeys are about um, (laughs) and a lot of other things if you pick it up. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. There's a lot of fun doing this. FAQ NYC is supported by a grant from Civil, a blockchain company aiming to reshape the business of news and by listeners like you. We recorded this week at our executive producer, Alex Brooklyn's apartment, and we're headquartered at the McSilver Institute. That's the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research at NYU. And a special thank you this week to Bill Bramhill, who you can find every day but Saturday in the New York Daily News, and Mark Allen Stomedy. Mark's new book is being re-released in the New York Review of Books comic edition, and it's entitled McDoodle Street. Another thank you goes to Adam Camara, who recorded, mixed, and mastered this week's episode. Remember, if you have to ask, tune into The Fact for some answers. Review us on iTunes and reach us on social media to discuss it all. We, for the record, we brought donuts. Um, and They're bougie. They're bourgeois donuts. And delicious, and no one is eating them. You guys can stay if you want to ask, if you want to ask questions of the Brooklyn DA. News. 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 New York City. F-A-Q. F-A-Q.